welcome to The Runs, the podcast where we discuss great runs of comic books. I'm your host, Ryan Alexander Tanner. With me this week is the beloved Wit Taylor. We're going to talk about the first five issues of Peter Bagg's series, Hate. For those of you who don't know, I can't imagine there's many of you, but Wit Taylor <laughs> is a comics creator and a public health genius based Gross. in New Jersey. <laughs> She's made lots of great small press work, including the series Fizzle and uh, Montana Diary, which is a pretty acclaimed mini comic of the last few years. She's a contributor and editor of The Nib. She's also contributed to The New Yorker, BuzzFeed, The Washington Post, and many other fine publications. She's won Glyph Awards and Ignatz Awards. Um, basically, you can't go anywhere without hearing about Wit Taylor. Does that sound correct? Oh, stop it, Ryan. It's too much, but thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> no, thank you. No, I'm, I'm glad to be here and to chat comics. So um, right thank on. you for having me. You bet. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about this because I know we both love this series. So let me yes. first set it up. So we're going to talk about the first five issues of Peter Bagg's series, Hate, which is kind of a staple of 90s. They were called alternative comics then, I believe. Maybe yep. indie comics. Yeah. So uh, Peter Bagg was the editor of Weirdo in the early 80s, which was an anthology series uh, that was founded by R. Crumb. Then later he started a one-person anthology series called Neat Stuff, which was like tabloid size. That started in 1985 for Fanagraphics, and he ended that in 89, and then he started a new series that was a standard comic book size called Hate, which took one of the characters from Neat Stuff. There was a, a, a bunch of different kind of ongoing character narratives. And one of them was the Bradleys is a dysfunctional family in New Jersey. So they took the oldest son from the Bradleys, Buddy Bradley, gave him his own series. And it sort of stumbled into uh, this trend of the era, which is that the character of Buddy Bradley moved to Seattle, as did Peter Bagg. And within a year or two, the whole grunge explosion happened and the whole Seattle scene. So this, is, I think, is a good example of something that has like almost no mainstream aesthetic to it whatsoever that became not mainstream, but sort of like mainstream counterculture. Like it was, yes. uh, yeah, something that doesn't feel like it had any mass appeal at all, sort of had an indie level of mass appeal. So then it ran for 30 issues over eight years. And it's sort of a coming of age of like a slacker ne'er-do-well, I guess you would say. Yeah, I think slacker is a, a good uh, way to summarize uh, Buddy and his lifestyle and friends or whatever. So we're going to talk about the first five issues. Uh, so as we get started, always. So what is your relationship with this series? So um, I'm trying to think about, I think Hate was probably the first Peter Bagg um, comics that I read. Mm -hmm. um, I, like I, I was a, a comic book fan when I was a child, more, you know, mainstream stuff, um, X-Men, Marvel stuff, Archie, whatever. But then I kind of like fell away from it. And so when I, once I got to college age, that was when I really discovered indie comics. And one of the first introductions to that was through uh, Peter Bagg's Hate. I remember getting this, like, it was one of his collections. Uh, I think it was, like, at a used bookstore or whatever. And immediately I was like, holy shit, this is, this is awesome. Like, mm -hmm. it just kind of really um, made me realize there was, like, another way to make comics. Mm -hmm. um, and from there, it kind of led me into other indie comics and, and kind of rejuvenated my interest in making comics myself. Um, 
so that's so I guess the first yeah so it must have been the mid aughts that I I read it um and I was thinking about like I had moved to LA after college in uh 2007 and I actually I went to Secret Headquarters which is like a comic book shop in Silver Lake um and he was doing I think that's just when Buddy Does Jersey the the compilation was released 2007 Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I remember um meeting him and like getting a book signed and stuff like that and was super excited so yeah can you talk more about what kind of struck you about the series yeah um I think I was just really um interested in like slice slice of life comics like essentially before that I didn't know that that was something you could do in comics Mm. um so like you know Peter Bagg's work um work like Box Office Poison by Alex Robinson um uh blankets stuff like that at the time like the stuff that you were most easily um accessible um in terms of indie comics in the mid-aughts like that was kind of my entry point into comics jeffrey brown too i would say mm-hmm. um a lot of just like the everyday life like 20 something disaffected you know that sort of gen xy vibe even though i'm, I'm technically a millennial but i'm an, an elderly millennial so i feel like there's still a lot of gen x culture that i grew up uh taking in just through media in general um and and that's something that i've always uh vibed with i guess uh we're about so- the same age i think i don't want to say how old you are but uh i'm gonna be 40 right? in a couple of weeks and uh so i was born in 82 graduated high school in 2000 and it sort of puts me in a weird box where by some measures i'm a millennial but mm-hmm there's like a thing where they call them zillennials where it's like, you're basically, because I didn't really grow up with any of the things that defined millennials. Like we didn't, we sort of had the internet when I was in high school, but it was more of a novelty. It wasn't really like dial up. Yeah. You have to get off the phone so you can use it. Yeah. I was born in 84. So I'll be 38 soon. And uh, yeah, I think they also call us the Oregon Trail generation. (laughs) It's like a little micro generation. Yeah. um, Where I think a lot of our um, formative years were before internet and social media. Um, Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, I don't remember using social media till like late college, I guess, Mm -hmm. (laughs) or even having a cell phone till post like end of college or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I held out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah yeah same um so yeah i think i think a lot of the you know the movies the magazines the tv the music all that sort of stuff um i think we had a lot of exposure to um and yeah going to high school in the late 90s early 2000s so yeah same so for me my relationship with hate i kind of think this is maybe my favorite comic book like of them all yeah. <laughs> I have them on single issues so this was I worked at a comic book store when I was in high school I worked at comic relief in Berkeley which kind of had this weird legacy of teenage boys that worked there in high school which I don't know why that is but um it's not surprising to me yeah which was both a formative and a damaging experience which is a whole <laughs> other podcast but sure. um we had a lending system like you could write out comics on the back of your time card and then if you kept them they were just deduced from your pay but you could also like bring stuff back sure and so there's a lot of like just reading through stuff you know just going like okay what is this i'm gonna start reading through it and hate was like on my radar um and i think it's sort of like similar to the sopranos for me where it took me a while to get into it like it didn't feel very accessible 
And then I, you sort of have to like learn to engage with it. And then it became like one of my favorite things ever. Like the, uh, well, the characters are not really very likable in hate no. is one, one thing. And then his drawing style is so weird. It's almost like Jack Kirby, I think, where you have to kind of mm -hmm. figure out what he's doing or what's good about it. Cause it doesn't look like anything else, his drawing style. And it's almost more like, abstract composition than anything yeah. else like especially uh when the characters are eliciting any sort of strong emotion uh -huh. and then it just gets kind of surrealist and absurdist which is like what really stood out to me um yeah you know it's funny like rereading uh the early issues is like and i wonder if this speaks just like the type of media that i consume nowadays or comics or whatever but i felt like it took more work to pay keep paying attention to it like it was mm. i loved it but mm -hmm. like there's so many there's so much text um mm -hmm. and i feel like nowadays there's a more of an emphasis to have like less text in a in a panel or in a page um but i i don't know i i think about like reading it it became really evident how much of an influence uh, hate had on my early comics making, um, both in terms of like slice of life, but also just how I wrote and the amount of words I use in mm -hmm. my comics, not to mention like style, you know, um, cross hatching, uh, spot blacks, and just kind of that early mid 90s zine uh aesthetic that i love so much yeah it's like a very kind of finalized form of like it's like someone who made many comics like really got their craft down you know um it's also interesting well i have two things one is that um i i hadn't read these early issues in a really long time actually i've i've reread the later issues a lot more than the earlier ones i'm not sure why there's something it's more of like an episodic kind of streamlined thing by the end you know it's full yeah. color and it's always one story and uh these early issues are a little more like uh there's a backup story and a main story or um there's a general it's like three tiered it switches to four tiered after the 15 issue in the first 15 issues are really different than the second it goes to color and it changes locations yeah. but it's also uh four tiered the last half and so the <laughs> The first half is three tiered. You have three rows of panels, except for yeah. some of these backup stories, which have different arrangements. But yeah. uh, he just sort of is developing this approach. But anyway, these I don't know if it's just because they're rougher or what, but I hadn't read these early ones in a long time. It was really nice experience. It was really kind of cool to come back to. But yeah, I would say the quality of writing in Hate too is really exceptional. Like the way he builds characters and the way his dialogue, like... It's one of those things, it's like watching old Simpsons where I'm like, oh, this phrase is actually burned into my uh, subconscious. I didn't yeah. even know that I was quoting this when I was, yeah. It, it's just like, despite being wordy, it reads so smoothly. Mm -hmm. The dialogue is fully realized. Um, I think it, it, everything like flows nicely. It has a lot of energy. It's, it's just like, what I like about it too is like, the willingness to write characters that are unlikable, which I think mm -hmm. some folks can be uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm. Like you have to, you know, like the protagonist and they have to be a good person. Um, and I, I, I mean, this also speaks to, to like the, you know, uh, earlier eras, just the amount of what we consider to be not politically correct uh, stuff in it. Yeah. I was actually kind of surprised reading back. I was like, oh, I didn't realize that like all this stuff, like whether it was like sexist or racist or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I was like taken aback. I was like, I don't know how I didn't remember that. Um, but I also think it speaks to what was considered uh 
publishable <laughs> even like a decade ago or more you know yeah i mean i there's no way to talk about these without getting we'll get into that as we go but there's definitely you couldn't do a lot of this now it just would be on and i remember actually i mean i grew up in you know like uh the bay area in the 90s so there was definitely like a real pc cult and i remember reading these and being like whoa like that's not okay and having to sort of like figure out how to interact with this comic because that's like, funny because i grew up in new jersey and i was like yeah i know people who talk like this oh yeah no i had yeah i remember when i was on the east coast i heard some things i'd never heard before you know but yeah i think how i reasoned with it then is i was like well like buddy bradley's not like an aspirational character like he's not yeah. a good there's a lot of emphasis on what an asshole he is throughout this mm -hmm. series so but it's interesting like again that was kind of before that became popular on TV of like these sort of uh, protagonists who were not good people, but sure. it was pretty unusual at the time. And then the only other thing I have to say for context and we can get into the issues, unless you have more to say uh, is this like my Whit Taylor story actually. Cause I, you know, you're, you and I've been working together a bit. Uh, I'm doing this Muhammad Ali biography and you were the editor. I was looking for an editor and you kept coming up. I think like four different people recommended you. Uh, wow. That's, we're both, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, we're both involved with the nib, I think was the main reason that came up. But uh, so I, I reached out to you and then we did a Zoom call. And uh, I've met Peter Bag a handful of times. And at, I think, Stumptown Comics Fest, he gave right. me this screen print that I think it's the cover of one of the issues. It's like a very abstract, like Buddy Bradley and all the supporting characters all around. It's like a screen print. It's like hand pulled. And I have it. It's up in my hallway. And then I got on the call with you and you had that print behind you on the wall. And I think there's like a hundred of those or something. Yeah, it was limited. I remember I got it at Mocha one year and I was like, Ooh, I have to have this. Um, and it's up in my office slash studio slash now playroom. Yeah. So. Right. yeah. Now it's in your kid's room, right? It'll, right. Still, it'll be like this weird thing like, that he stared at. Yeah. yeah. But um, I was like, I don't even need to talk to you after that. Like, I would like to work. I <laughs> was just one of those things. Where I was like, <laughs> like, the uh... statistical likelihood we would both have this poster. <laughs> but yeah, and then the final thing I want to say about the art is, yeah, it's almost like built around like abstract composition. It's very much like the shapes on the page. And it's like they are people, but it's like as far removed from being figurative as possible while still being figurative. Yeah, it's it's fun. And it's, it's just simply fun to to look at it's very kinetic mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of ugly though too yeah I love so it. we'll get into the issues so the first issue it's weird because it's like um essentially it's buddy bradley talking to you the reader it's like you come into his place and i actually remember reading this i feel maybe less like this now but I felt like it was a really off-putting first issue like it does a weird thing of one is it's like a monologue which is there's not a lot of, there's a lot of story because it's catching you up, but it's also, I remember reading this for the first time and it feels like it's, what it is, is it's a bridge between the neat stuff stories and this new series. But if you're coming in cold, like many people were, it sort of gives you a sense that there's a lot before this and you don't know what it is. Yeah. And I, I feel like I'm trying to remember back. I think it's possible that I might not have even started originally with this issue. Cause mm -hmm. when I was reading it, I was like, I don't remember this. And I feel like if I had initially read this without reading any of the prior work, I might've not followed up with it. Cause I was <laughs> like, it, it, it is like a little bit off putting. It's just like straight, like protagonist talking 
uh, to the reader, mm -hmm. uh, which I feel like would be very unpopular by today's standards. Like an editor would be like, yeah, this is too much. This is mm -hmm. this is not too, too much talking heads. Um, but I also do believe that it's uh, necessary to kind of, like you said, be a bridge between the older material um, and then what became hate. So. Yeah, although I think most of the people who've read Hate, I mean, now in hindsight, have never read neat stuff. Like, yeah. I think, uh, you know, now there's these two kind of big collections that you can get this whole run in two volumes. Mm -hmm. And I think most that's how most people engage with it. And most of those people probably have never read those Bradley stories. So it's weird. I've always given people the second issue to start with because it's yeah. just more of like, you can just get in there like, okay, here's a guy and he's got roommates and he lives in Seattle and he goes to parties. Exactly. Um, yeah. So it's a weird, it's a really weird choice. Um, and then it's, but we meet all the characters. We meet Buddy Bradley. We meet Stinky, his roommate, yeah. who's a character also from the earlier stuff. And then we mm -hmm. meet his other roommate, George Hamilton, who's a new character. Yeah. George, man. George gonna, cracks me up. We're going to talk about George a lot. I yeah, think. I can't wait. <laughs> I feel like um, you get just the right amount of George. Like, he's so intriguing. I, there's a whole backup story about him that I think we'll talk about for a long time. But Yeah. No, um, I think it's it's a, a good amount of George in the beginning, just enough to pique your curiosity. Um, and yeah, for those who wouldn't know Stinky, I feel like his characterization in this first episode kind of tells you what you need to know as well. You're like, oh, it's that guy. Yeah, you know? totally. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's like, like I said, it wasn't my favorite issue, but I think it, it gives you like a lot of context if you're not aware of, you know, the previous uh, world and characters and all that. Um, and then, of course, there's the Prisoners of Hate Island. Yeah, which again, I mean, this I remember first ever reading Hate and this first issue just being really hard to get through. And the backup is like even more inside baseball, I feel like. Oh my God. Yeah. I was like, at first I was trying to figure out who it was. And I was like, oh, okay, so that's Gary Groth, mm -hmm. that's Kim Thompson, and then that's Peter Bag. Um, and uh it is it is very like comics insider sort of stuff um it's very like early 90s <laughs> i feel like you, you would never see this in like a, a, a publication uh nowadays like fanographics publication nowadays but I, I i love it it's like uh i don't know i feel like it's very emblematic of that time um mm -hmm. and it's really meta right it's really right kind of telling it's like sort of outlining the process of how this thing came together the part where like um gary groth puts the bomb in the the 1980s toilet bowl i <laughs> i don't know i particularly like that it's like so ridiculous some really nice hatching on them after they've exploded yes but yeah and some gray tones but yeah so i don't know i mean it's 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 what gets us to this series so i have nothing but love for it but yeah as the first i would say the first issue of hate is like the only issue that is like not solid gold in my opinion it's kind of like a pilot for a tv show it can mm -hmm. be hit or miss sometimes it's getting its footing right so totally 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 yeah and he i always like his voice of there's a few kind of backups like this where someone's filling you in on a there's one about george and then there's one about buddy's sister where it's someone sort of talking to you and it's they're usually the the voice of those is really well written like mm -hmm. it's sort of like kathy griffin comedy you know like oh this person's talking directly to me and they're kind of giving me the scoop you know yeah no i, I like that i like uh 
Bag's ability to kind of have a different voice for different characters. Yeah, um, totally. It's, it's well done. So the second issue, I think, really hits the ground running, though. That's where we meet Valerie. Um, it starts with, I feel like we do this again later in the series, where it opens with Buddy, like, looking at himself in the mirror in his underwear <laughs> and mm-hmm. sort of evaluating himself. Yep. And he's got a monologue. He's just talking out loud <laughs> about... <laughs> uh just himself and then i love this so he goes out to the living room and then george is uh i think we all have some of this inside of ourselves where he's watching america's funniest home videos and he always has this front of like when he's engaging with like this like garbage media that it's like he's like being a social anthropologist yes i i i uh identify with that very much um he's kind of like a highbrow lowbrow sort of individual but yeah i think that's sort of a common trait of people i mean i think it's become more and more common that we're all sort of like fixate on these really low quality programming and things like that and then we kind of have these excuses for it you know like we're yeah i'm just i'm just analyzing it yeah exactly sociological perspective right from a higher plane i'm engaging like how we engage with reality television these days you know i know i'm having a hard time not talking with you about reality television yeah, as we'll, we... we'll talk about that at, at another time okay, perhaps yeah, another we're... podcast <laughs> <We're all laughs> behind but so then stinky invites uh buddy to a pool hall and he meets valerie yep and it's weird because he totally just acts like a jerk at the pool hall yeah it's like he has no ability to like um you know adjust his social uh socialization to different scenarios or like you know what i mean he's just like he is who he is um that's really true yeah and i think that's both like a a fault of his and i think something he gets credit for too like he's not at all pretentious he's like very much himself yeah he's not he's not a bullshitter um which is i think one endearing quality actually in a a mostly unlikable character you know (laughs) so i'm like I, i don't actually mind that um but in here, like you really get to see, um, I feel like they, they go, it goes pretty instantly into like showing what Valerie's like um, and just like in, their instant connection, you know? Yeah. And Valerie is a really complex character. And I think that's part of, I mean, I think that's really what sells these comics more than anything is just that everyone's got kind of like a backstory or everyone has, mm-hmm. has kind of, uh nuanced traits to them like valerie is kind of like a, um and we meet her parents later she's like an upper middle class uh you know kid and she's a college graduate and mm-hmm. she's working in a she works at the feminist bookstore which is fun and yep. she's both kind of like classy and really put together but also has this like uh what would you call it i don't know She's um she's not really good at emotional regulation. Yeah. <laughs> um and I don't know. She I think well like you're saying like I I I like how the characters are fully formed here and they're not just e- existing to uh tell buddy's story, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um just like you know we'll get to Lisa too. Um, but I don't know if that was the right if that was the right descriptor you're looking for. Not well at emotional regulation. <laughs> I think that was really good. Yeah. Okay. Um, and she's yeah. also like um, very sexually charged as well, mm-hmm. and and kind of like has some questionable, um, not morals, but just like 
kind of like her some of her ethics about things in general are a little like questionable but it's like intriguing right you know yeah i mean it's it makes sense that she's really put together but she also goes for someone like buddy like it doesn't Mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense at a glance but it makes sense pretty quickly once you start kind of engaging with these characters exactly and then there's always these great details like they go to the thrift store and she finds this reversible hat oh yeah the hat becomes this sort of artifact for the story uh, so then they go back to her apartment and her roommate Lisa's there. So Lisa is another character that is was in neat stuff. Yeah. And I don't think very much, right? I think she might have just been in one story even. Yeah, I think so. Um, but obviously, as as we know, she becomes a, a main person throughout the story. And she and uh, Buddy's relationship uh, evolves many times. So Yeah, I don't know if that's if there's spoilers on this or anything but yeah <laughs> yeah becomes, i mean yeah. I, I just said something without really saying anything so take take with that you know what you will but um i love the way that lisa's drawn like her eyes you can just see like the anxiety just like you know like coming off of her being um i think it's it's so again character design here is is really um well done yeah so. and it's weird because everyone is sort of drawn in these sort of wiggle everyone's these curvy shapes you know like it almost feels like everyone's got bad posture and everyone has but then you see a character like lisa and the way she's sitting and her mm-hmm. like set her eyes and it, it does tell you a lot about who she is yeah so I, I also love how she, like valerie and lisa play off of each other as roommates and just like <laughs> the little petty things where they like they clearly like each other but there's just like the roommate relationship I think is really done well just with as with you know Buddy and, and his roommates mm-hmm. just sort of like companionship and also like it can go sour really fast yeah like these little things you do really get on my nerves but like yeah I don't know so then uh Valerie puts it together that Lisa and Buddy they have a history and it turns mm-hmm. out that I guess Lisa told Valerie a story about Buddy <laughs> sodomizing her and sticking her head in a toilet bowl, which again is yeah. what started getting through. Like, uh, like I don't know what to do with that information. Yeah, I, I, I somehow didn't remember that from reading it the first time. Like, okay, um, but it's like where they take that you don't really expect, you know. Um, when it turns out that Valerie is like actually kind of jealous of. Lisa's experience yeah that's we find that out later yeah but first um she kicks him out oh yeah and there's some interesting too like as he's kicked out he's walking and there's like a three-quarter angle view of Buddy walking towards us and it's it's interesting too to look at these early issues because later on it gets more streamlined there's basically Mm -hmm. like one angle to everything Mm -hmm. like it's in these earlier issues there's more like um kind of like uh you know three quarter degree angles and things like that it messes a little bit more it's less streamlined and uh yeah i mean i wonder if that was just as a result of having to to put something out regularly and just making certain uh choices in the you know for efficiency's sake or just through getting familiar with withdrawing this specific uh you know comic yeah, I think it was more, it, as it goes, there's more and more kind of rules to how the visuals work. Yeah, and, and that happens, I think, with most uh, ongoing series or even, you know, looking at graphic novels and how they evolve from the beginning to the end if if the artist doesn't, like, redraw, you know, the earlier parts, so. Yeah. So then uh, they're having a party 
so yeah he gets kicked out by valerie it seems like it goes really poorly and then later they have a party at the buddy and stinky and uh valerie shows up and she's uh she's she's uh drawing a lot of attention to herself (laughs) (laughs) and gets too drunk and she's flirting with guys and buddy's like sitting that's an interesting he just like sits in a chair and watches her for a long time like that's his response well, yeah, it was backing up too. There's that weird interaction with Lisa where she's wearing like the underwear that he left, like because he had brought some underwear that he had bought um, when he stopped by Valerie's place, mm-hmm. and uh, Lisa's now wearing all of the pairs like on top of each other under her 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 skirt or whatever, and she's yeah. kind of like teasing Buddy about it. And it. It gets kind of like flirtatious, but in a weird way. And then you just see like that last panel on that page where it's it's so cartoony of like valerie just completely outraged mm-hmm. yeah and then she's showing the guy the the hat that the reversible hat the guy she's flirting with and buddy's really mad about that i love those like sort of artifacts in these stories like these little details yeah and then the panel where valerie's dancing she's sort of violently dancing <laughs> i love it it's so good and she, yeah. it's like the aisle like crossed out yeah and then uh she falls and breaks her arm and has to get hauled away and the bones sticking out is so oh, extreme yeah i can't even deal with that but it's like even it's just like the absurdity and the exaggeration i feel like it really does capture somebody having like a meltdown like a drunken meltdown at a party <laughs> like it's like it comes across yeah like, there's there's a truth to it yeah and buddy never gets out of the chair through that whole sequence (laughs) yeah that's right so good so then he goes and visits her in the hospital yeah she's got her arm broken and this is another great detail so there's a really old woman kind of like uh you know struggling to breathe in the bed next to them and then Mm -hmm. uh uh valerie and buddy kind of make up and yeah she explains that she was jealous of the whole thing and then they have sex in the hospital bed which is a beautiful scene (laughs) that's what i mean about like the surprises of like valerie's uh reasoning and and um choices like this like the hospital bed scene i was like okay i it just it's more it makes me more intrigued by her and their Mm -hmm. relationship which is kind of like this slightly perverse relationship Mm -hmm. you know um yeah but yeah what were you saying Oh, and then the detail being that then uh, afterwards, after they're done having sex, uh, they check and the old woman has died. Yeah. That's <laughs> so just like an interesting detail. And then she they're going to go tell someone, but first he has to like snuggle her in the bed. Oh, yeah, <laughs> she's like, wait, you need to like spoon me for some time. Yeah, there's like <laughs> a dead woman in the room. That's pretty good. I mean, this this is such a great issue. It's just mm-hmm. like the timing, the pacing, like the comedic, like everything from that to how they introduce like some of the characters is just, it's just great. Yeah, totally. No, it's really uh, kind of pitch perfect. And again, I kind of feel like it should be the first issue, but what's to be done? But yeah, we really get every, we kind of know where we are with everything at this yeah. point. Like we know who everyone is. So then the third issue... So the third issue I thought was weird because it seems to open with the backup story. Like, yeah, the opening story. Yeah. has a different, it's not three uh, tiered. It's kind of all over the, it's more like these four panel pages with monologues. Like it's real text heavy and it's, uh, and then after that is a standard story. 
Yeah. But um, yeah, it's the enigma that is George Cecil Hamilton the third. So this is when we go deep on like this is maybe my favorite thing ever in hate, though, actually. Like when they're yeah. following George and <laughs> I mean, like again, just like I said with Stinky, like I you, you know a guy like George, or or plenty of people like this. Um I, I just think like the character, the character development is just so he's so idiosyncratic, but he's like somebody you could totally know. Um mm-hmm. But I also feel like it's interesting, too, because, you know, there's illusions, not even illusions, but like addressing buddies, you know, racism, casual racism, whatever. I mean, both in the language that he uses, but even like when they talk about it. Um, and it, it makes me wonder, too, like about Peter Bagg's upbringing and his like how he, how like he was raised and like, mm-hmm. you know, the culture he was raised in. Um, but yet, like with a character like George, I feel like he's this really interesting developed idiosyncratic black character that's not a stereotype you know Mm -hmm. what I mean and I that's like one thing I think I appreciated about uh this this story you know yeah that it sort of just really gets into the nuance of this unconventional character yeah exactly and that it's sort of an unexpected representation I guess everything yeah exactly it's not like um yeah, just like a stereotypical character defined by their race. He's just like a fully developed, quirky character. And he's sort of a guy that doesn't fit in anywhere, really. Exa- exactly. Yeah. Like, I think living with a couple of white, um, I don't know how you, Heshers or whatever, I don't know what these guys are, um, grunge guys, like, yeah. would would be just as kind of esoteric to him as if he had black roommates, like... Yeah, and then there's like the, you know, there's like, they talk about his family and how clearly he has family that lives nearby, but he's pretty private about his family and the relationships he has and like what he's doing like half of the time. Yeah, um, he's kind of a, a uh, what is the name for people who kind of hate everything? He's sort of separate from misanthrope. humanity. Yeah, he's sort of a misanthrope. And yeah, he's supported by his father who he hates and his mom comes by and she's really religious. yeah. And, and then uh, he hangs out with his cousin, like he was hanging out with his cousin um, and doesn't really explain about their relationship. And then the that, meditation bit. That's my favorite ever, though. Yeah, is when, so the only person he ever interacts with is his cousin comes by sometimes, who is sort of like a stereotypical Black character. Exactly. And uh, they just like go somewhere and Buddy and Stinky are so intrigued by where they go <laughs> that they follow them multiple times. And yep. one time they just go into a house and they're waiting outside the house. And another time they go into like a karate school, right? Yeah. <laughs> and they go and they're like peeking in the window of the karate school. That's so funny to me. Like that's one of those things that every time I can't even think about it without kind of laughing. <laughs> and then like uh, Stinky's like, how lame can you get? when he's like watching the meditator. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like staring in the window. Like, yeah. Um, no, and I think, I don't know, I, I had a lot of roommates. I definitely, I had a, a, a roommate that was, I think, a Russian guy, and he also, like, didn't work or anything, and he was just in his room all the time, and my ultimate memory of him was, uh, he was like, I'm going to the store, does anyone need anything? And I was like, oh, get some toilet paper, we need some toilet paper, and he's like, well, give me some money, and I was like, well, you know, I've paid for toilet paper, just buy some toilet paper, and he goes, I don't even use toilet paper, I just get in the shower. Hmm. Okay. That was, I mean, <laughs> that was the most complicated sentence I've ever heard in my life. Where I was like, wait, there's so much to unpack with what you just said. I feel like that needs to be in some sort of comic at some point. You know, fictionalized, of course. But, of uh, course, yeah. 
Yeah, but we've all like, I mean, it made me think back to especially being in my in my 20s and all the different roommates I had and Mm -hmm. all the idiosyncrasies and our relationships and just like the little details that I still remember about them. And it's like, I don't know, it's it's a it's nice. (laughs) Yeah, and like roommates you're friends with and then roommates that you're kind of just end up living with that you don't really interact. Exactly. Because I'm curious, like, how did they even end up living with George? It must have been an ad or something, but. Yeah, you know, sometimes, like you said, you just end up through circumstance living with someone. So, um, oh, yeah. And the, the the part where he's like eating the um, the fast food, is it McDonald's or like, what is it? Yeah, it's basically McDonald's. Yeah. Yeah. He's rationalizing it or watching the Golden Girls. No, I like that. It's sort of like sums him he's sort of unknowable in this way but it's basically like yeah he's uh as much a tasteless brainwashed consumer as everyone else (laughs) exactly (laughs) and then i honestly don't really know who uh george hammond is is he from the monkeys or something i should know that yeah um wait george hammond never mind i was i was like isn't that guy never mind just we, forget I said it. We could just Google it, but we're yeah, not going to. But, but I don't yeah. feel like it. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's very in the spirit of this thing. But anyway, yeah, his got the same name as some uh, somebody right now is listening to this. Like, ah! But yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it just sort of, it's like, a, it's a character study of him, which is just like solid gold. And again, like you get, you get little tidbits about him as you go, but you never kind of, um, there's always these unsolved mysteries of this character, which is uh, part of what makes him great exactly so then we get the the main story is that buddy and valerie are trying to have a date and yeah. they're they're the roommates keep ruining it so he pays george to leave and then uh this is one of my favorite scenes ever in hate where uh they're having dinner and then stinky walks in naked <laughs> That's so ridiculous. and then he goes uh he goes look at you've got venereal warts all over your private parts he says the doctor says they're not contagious he says then go rub it on your doctor's plate that's one of my favorite yeah. lines ever from hate the whole thing is just like again like talking about roommates just the the compromises and situations you get put into when you're sharing a common space and all those personalities are at work brought together by who knows what um yeah, and then they bring the so they decide to bring the um, spaghetti over to her house, which is funny too because like she, she like they mentioned too that like he doesn't even know how to like make pasta. Uh-huh. Which, I don't know. I just thought that was funny. Yeah, like dude, you're from New Jersey and you know how to make pasta. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> but he's like, yeah, he's in his early twenties, and also just dating in your twenties and having roommates is like I got I got this brings up a lot of memories for me. Yeah, yeah. Like, so then they go to valerie's and then lisa comes home and is is kind of invading their scene uh, <laughs> krista snoopy um which i think actually <laughs> she's she said she went to this like party um she's dressed up as snoopy and then she realizes that maybe that was like a bad choice because like she's not gonna like meet like cute guys when she's dressed up as snoopy right um and that that made me think of like when i was in high school um i was dressed up as one Halloween as a beaver because it was like my favorite animal like truly innocently and I think I put this in like one of my comics in uh, Madtown High which now that I think about it was definitely influenced from hate um and then I was like wondering why guys didn't like didn't want to date me I was like oh because I dressed like a like a furry creature for Halloween or whatever it's just like <laughs> I can relate Lisa anyway. that'll really that'll really sully your uh reputation <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh man 
So then he kind of lures uh, Lisa out of the apartment. And then again, yeah, they have this kind of weird dynamic, this sort of flirtatious kind of dysfunctional because he lures her out and he's acting like they're going to sneak out and leave Valerie. And then he puts her in a garbage can. Yeah. And then this whole thing where she's screaming from the garbage can and he's like, she could definitely get out of there pretty easily if she wants. And she's, it's like a really interesting dynamic. It's a weird dynamic, but it like, it seems very like, um, unrealistic in a lot of ways but also it makes like total sense you know Mm -hmm. it's like a very vague kind of undefined weird relationship that they have especially given their past yeah Um, it's sort of like a dom sub thing a little bit you know yeah like uh there's sort of like i don't know if it's yeah flirtatious you would call it but there's there's just a dynamic there that's happening exactly Mm -hmm. um and then he gets back and and valerie's of course uh pissed off right (laughs) And then, so she brings up living together and Buddy mm-hmm. freaks out. And then, yeah. uh, this is kind of an interesting ending. Yeah, because then she's kind of pressuring him about it. And then he just starts shouting, like, I don't know why, but I'm not going to. And uh, Yeah, pretty is- much just being like honest, like, I don't want to do this right now. Yeah. And I think that there's something about uh, Valerie as this very, like, confident, uh, you know, um, self-defined feminist woman but i think she's like also turned on by him like just being like no we're not mm-hmm. doing this and then of course they have sex oh yeah it was a really good ending <laughs> and then lisa's singing outside <laughs> yeah she's singing nobody likes me everybody hates me i'm gonna eat some worms which is yeah. a really good uh that's the end of that one so then we got into number four which brings back uh butch and this is another uh, throwback to the earlier stories where again i remember reading this and not knowing uh, again sensing that this was a character from earlier stories but not knowing because last time we see butch he's like a little kid and now he's like a big man i guess he's in high school still but he's like a real big guy yeah and uh he's really not a very well adjusted person <laughs> he's a he's a little bit scary um yeah. He, I mean, he just shows up at the bookstore where Buddy's working and clearly he'd been, as he mentioned, he'd been there or kind of stalking him mm-hmm. <laughs> since he got there. Um, he's there, His he had like spring break, so he decided to take a bus or whatever uh, to Seattle. Which is like across the whole country, like that would be really arduous. Yeah. And yeah, he doesn't like call Buddy and tell him he's coming to visit or anything, he just shows up. um so yeah he he kind of uh stakes him out at the bookstore then he shows up and expects Mm -hmm. to stay with him he meets george so yeah then there's a uh this is where we first get into like uh that uh butch is kind of amused by buddy having a black roommate yeah and he brings up like yeah based off of like your previous feelings about you know black people or whatever um yeah, which again, I found pretty objectionable when I was a kid and I read these. But, right. Yeah. I just like, like I said, like, I feel like writing this stuff nowadays, like, would be, it would be a very different uh, sort of uh, reaction, you know? Um, but I also like, you know, rereading some of the stuff I was like offended by, but I was also like, but these people exist. Like, this is, this is honest writing. <laughs> You know that's what I mean? the thing. Yeah, I think that's a really good conversation to have, actually, because I don't, I mean, you couldn't make this comic now. Like, Mm-mm. I don't know what would happen. I mean, I guess probably there would be a Twitter backlash and then someone right. would have to write an apology. And um, 
But what do you make of it? Because I do think that there's value to showing these faults in people. Like there's a real exactly. to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a, a difference between like personally espousing those beliefs and having your characters uh, represent or be different types of people who have these beliefs. Because this this to me reads like people that I, I've met or have known before. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily ones that I've liked, <laughs> but like you know, Butch is a person who exists and represents yeah. a certain type of uh, ideology, right? Yeah, and he's not a person I would ever interact. Like, I think Buddy Bradley is like a person I could sort of deal with. I mean, I think I've I've known people like Buddy Bradley, whereas Butch is like not a person I would be able to spend any time with at all. <laughs> I definitely remember going to school with guys like Butch, like people who like didn't like me because I was black and mm. like didn't. Uh, treated me accordingly and also were very nationalistic and very into, you know, the military and mm. very uh, patriotic and stuff like that, but also very insecure. Like, yeah, he, he reads as a, as a real person to me. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause you know, I'm from the Bay area and I lived in Portland for 20 years. So I actually have never really known people like this. This is like one of those things where the last, you know, five years I've kind of gone like, Oh wow. Like I knew there were people like this, but I didn't know there were so many. Like, yeah, this is like, I've lived in a bubble. Like I have to kind of take the author's word for it. I understand that people like this exist, but the, the nuance of it, I think is a little lost on me because I've really never known I've known people like Buddy and Stinky and George and Valerie and yeah. Lisa, but this character, I'm just sort of like, I'll, I'll take your word for it. That yeah, is, right. I've, Who is this guy? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he's really portrayed, though, as this like menacing, you know, this sort of like uh, really like looming threat of a presence, you know? Yeah, like somebody who doesn't know how to handle their anger um, and who's kind of like a loose um, cannon. Mm hmm. Uh, Again, that's a trope and that's a, that's a type of thing that we discuss nowadays when we look at like violence and how people, um, you know, direct their their anger. So um, a lot of these characters, I mean, really any of these characters, even if they're very specific to this time and scene, like they're 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 kind of timeless characters, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think there's more people like like Butch now than <laughs> at this time or at least more vocal but I do think it's I do think it's unfortunate that um, you can't. That's what I don't, I don't want to get into like PC culture or whatever. But uh, that you can't really even have a flawed character like this for the purpose of exposing those flaws anymore. I don't think. Yeah. Um, no, I I agree with you, and I I think that there is value in remembering those those sorts of things like. Um, even thinking back to like, you know, comics I did about high school and the type of language that was used back then that was normalized, even mm-hmm. saying like using gay as a pejorative, mm-hmm. like that was so common in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And now it's like unthinkable, understandably, because it's offensive. Um, but like that was a real way that people talked. Yeah. And I don't I think there's no use in acting like that didn't happen. because I think we should remember that that was normalized at a certain point. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh yeah, that you can't, it's, it's, it's a misrepresentation to leave that. No, I remember that like two more math homework. That's gay. Like that yeah. was like a really, really common. It was just normal uh, to, or like, just really, I mean, if you watch like an episode of friends from the night, oh, yeah. it was like, you know, what we now call microaggressions. Yeah. Literally over. any, anything produced in the nineties, like yeah. any of those movies, uh, you know, even early two thousands, like, uh, you know, 
a lot of those collegey sort of mm-hmm. movies. But yeah, so they're at this party, um, which comes, and uh, he's being aggressive, of course. Stinky's there, and he's now switched to exclusively hallucinogens, which I really like this oh era. God. This era of his life. <laughs> No, and they're like babying him. Yeah, there's this part where there's um, these two girls are like they're arguing over like holding him and taking care of him. Yeah, who gets to and hold him? He's like, "Where's my fruit juice?" Yeah. <laughs> so then Butch interacts with Valerie. Like he just sort of you know has a has a moment with everyone, and then he's guarding the keg and makes everyone recite the Pledge of Allegiance before he'll fill their cups. So then Buddy's like, "All right, I got to get this guy out of here." <laughs> Yeah, I, I liked that detail. I was like, I don't know, it's just just good. And then this really struck me too when I first read it. I remember, but this was a real thing that was happening. This was like one of those things that was pulled from the news. I think Kate, and from what interviews I've read, like a lot of the details are come from real people in real circumstances. Mm-hmm. You know, like what yeah. interviews I've read, he'll go, "Oh, a friend of mine had that," or you know, yeah. Um, but this was sort of a thing in the news that as they're walking back, Butch sees a homeless guy and he wants to light him on fire which is just so like, it's like kind of, I don't want to say humorous in the way it's presented. It's sort of absurd, but it's like, this is a real, like he, I think he really would have lit that guy on fire. If yeah. Could. I mean, it's, it's so sick and it shows like, you know, how people dehumanize uh, people who don't, who are, you know, homeless um, or who they consider to be other. Yeah. Um, so and also this guy, you know, but him coming from a totally different place and then coming to Seattle and just like not understanding or caring about anything that's going on there. He's just mm-hmm. like doesn't doesn't want to get it. Um, so then Buddy and then there's also this dynamic of that Buddy was the older brother. He's always a lot bigger than this kid. And now Butch is like much larger than him. And uh, it's sort of like on the, it's like the undercurrent of the whole thing where like for the first time, he's kind of afraid of Butch, which has never happened before. And so they knocks him out, but he knocks Butch out with a beer bottle, which is really kind of a shocking uh, moment. And then he's laying in bed, kind of ruminating over it and wondering like, he's like, oh wait, this is going to go really bad. And then Butch walks in with a gun, which is a really... I love that panel, too, because of how they show Buddy's eyes are, like, popping out of his head, and you can Mm -hmm. see this. It's so, like, um, it's so cartoony, and it's so exaggerated, and it it feels so, like, specific of that that cartooning style and that time. Mm -hmm. Um, It makes me even think about, like, the cartoons, watching cartoons in the 90s, like Ren and Stimpy or Rocco's Mm -hmm. My Life, or, like, any of that style of animation. Totally. Um, and this sort of like veiny, like gross. Yeah. You know, Ren and Stimpy really pioneered that. Like there'll be a close up of something and it's yes. like a painted, really Super detailed. detailed. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, then Butch is leaving. He's got a hitchhike back. So he's got a gun and uh, he kind of tells uh, Buddy what a jerk he is, what a like a lousy older brother. And uh, then he finally leaves and then Buddy gets a phone call from, that's right. So he had been, Butch had been kind of alluded to some relationship he was in that didn't work out. So the ex-girlfriend calls Buddy and we just get some. So it's interesting, too, because you get it's it's three dimensional, which, again, I think we need more of that. Butch is this really objectionable, pretty horrible guy. And then he's also like a person that's really hurting and doesn't know how to manage his emotions or his place in the world. And that's also true. Yeah, I think I think that was that's a really important um a really important point and um again about like 
toxic masculinity and <laughs> and uh, managing your emotions and directing hurt or anger or, or you know stuff like that um all still relevant today um sure. and so I, I think the conversation with the girlfriends definitely really necessary here do you think that the alt-right they just need like a hug is that what's going on like what's wrong with those people <laughs> i mean that's a whole nother podcast right <laughs> it is, but i guess you know butch butch seems like a person that would probably be pretty like interested in QAnon at this time you know like uh, oh for sure yeah yeah just similar uh similar type i would say so well sort of like the person who's not very intelligent and very emotionally uh responsive to you know whose emotional reaction would be uh more important than like facts and things like that and like a, a white male who feels really oppressed by current circumstances and things like that like uh well yeah i mean i don't know if this is like uh too much of an extrapolation but just thinking about um gun violence and mass shootings in this country and the types of you know patterns that we see with that um it, it's it, it kind of reminded me of that so yeah it's like a real like exposed nerve ending of a populace exactly so, yeah it's interesting so then we have a, a backup story whatever happened to babs bradley oh, so this yeah. is another one where a character's talking so this character shows up again way later and i think she's in the neat stuff stuff she has this interesting like her hair is like this curl this brush stroke mm-hmm. like this repetitive kind of, and it's one of those things where it looks like a drawing like you could only draw that it, it you sort of get what it's what type of hair it is but and it's really hard to um like it looks good as a single drawing and then it's hard to like blend it in with a background or something like she's sitting in a black chair and like seems like it was yeah. a lot of work to it's quick to make that brush stroke that's her hair and then to kind of like make it fit against backgrounds and stuff I think it's really challenging anyway I just get yeah caught up in stuff like that but so Babs Bradley we also haven't seen since neat stuff so we got caught up there and it turns out she this is really interesting so she got pregnant as a teenager and then mm-hmm. her parents forced her to get an abortion and then she like goes into a deep depression and drops out of school and then she goes and works at a fast food place and she's having sex in the back room of a fast, fast food, food yeah. place and then her parents their parents force him to get married because she gets pregnant again. So she marries this really awful guy, Joel, right? We see him again later. Also, I like that silhouette of the parents dragging them to church for the shotgun wedding. Yeah, in general, the silhouettes in hate are just phenomenal. There's one mm-hmm. earlier of, I think, Buddy talking to um, uh, Butch and just the uh, the shapes of the character. Again, sort of the abstract uh mm-hmm. forms of everything are so well put together yeah there's a real strength so he's also really good at having like open panels he uses borderless panels a lot yeah. to suggest like a longer passage of time i show that right. to my classes a lot like oh if you leave the borders out it kind of opens it up it's more airy and even this one small panel between two equal size panels you get more of a sense of like a transition i think when Buddy's getting into bed with Valerie in the hospital, there's one where it's just like open and just gives you a little more sense of space. Yeah. And I think I didn't realize that till rereading it, probably now as someone who has more experience reading comics and, and seeing different techniques that are employed in storytelling. Um, it was, it was fun to like rediscover that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's just, I mean, it's like, there's a real formal quality to these hate comics that I really like, like, right. 
and it's and it's interesting because it's so kind of like uh icky looking at the same time you know mm-hmm. it's like and i guess it's very much in the tradition of something like mad magazine i think you know like really yeah. stylized illustrations and really sharp writing and yeah so, but basically she's got two kids and a deadbeat husband is the deal <laughs> And yeah. uh, we won't see her again for a while, but we'll really get into that later in the series. That's also some of my favorite stuff. Yeah. So then the fifth issue is the last one we're going to talk about. And uh, Buddy and Stinky go and they talk with the collector guy, <laughs> uh, who I think we meet again. Um, yeah. Who's got, again, this is like, you know, I said I worked at a comic store as a teenager. Like this guy is very... Uh, archetypical to me i've known a lot of these sort of like morally bankrupt gross collector guys so he's pretty pretty on the nose yeah and and that could be you know really any sort of collective collector's industry yeah Um, there's actually a lot of interesting foreshadowing even in the first issue because you know like spoiler alert but but he ends up being uh owning a collectible shop later yeah and uh there's actually like it's all kind of in the first issue like this the the whole future of this character is kind of alluded to which is interesting and yeah it makes you wonder too how much planning was done um Mm -hmm. from the beginning of the story um like whether he he knew where it was where it was ultimately going i think quite a bit yeah i think he at least had an inkling and then it's buddy bradley right he's like semi-autobiographical and right he's always about 10 years younger than peter bag so there's like a, a real hindsight to it those are really interesting elements of it to me for sure um so then uh buddy and the guy kind of get into a a heated exchange about uh harvey kurtzman versus walt kelly (laughs) and uh that's pretty interesting and it's also kind of inside base i was surprised i don't know why i remember the first time i read this i was surprised that buddy bradley likes comic books like he doesn't seem like someone who would for some reason and he likes this kind of classic stuff like i remember not really knowing much about harvey kurtzman at the time i read this yeah no same same um i mean i'm i'm not surprised (laughs) like you said it's based off of uh his life so um yeah so then we get into this is really interesting exchange to me too this is sort of like how guys think i think where they're walking back and uh they're sort of just touching on that buddy's drinking way too much and uh, he talks about uh, Stinky and Buddy are talking about, you know, drinking too much and having sex and feeling like you're going to pee when you're having sex. <laughs> and uh, Stinky worries that the the urine will go into his scrotum and poison him. And like, I haven't had that exact thought, but I'm like, I know, I, I know this line of thinking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll take your word for it. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, it's something that all men go through that uh it's a rite of passage and then uh valerie's place uh lisa and valerie are getting their hair did there's these two uh gay guys there doing their hair and they're hanging out listening to records and then basically buddy just comes back and like blows up the whole situation argues with everyone it's basically just a story about what a jerk buddy is (laughs) it's like the, the thrust of the narrative and it's sort of the same thing again where he's uh He's kind of rude and confrontational with everyone. He makes the guys leave. And then uh, he makes fun of Lisa's new hairstyle. And uh, then he gets drunk and sits in the corner and kind of passes out. And they have an exchange. And then Lisa and Valerie kind of team up against him. And then after he passes out, they're talking about him. And maybe we should do something really bad to him. And just that, like what you said, it's essentially like he's kind of an offensive 
personality, but he's also like a real, he's real about stuff. He's very unpretentious and says what he means. And there's, Mm -hmm. there's, there's something refreshing about that. Yeah, no, there is. Um, I'm actually, so I have the print copies and I couldn't find them. So I, I had to get the digital copies and now I'm like having trouble loading number five. So I'm like, I can't, like I got the first few pages and then it stopped for some reason. Um, so I like can't even get to the page, which is like very inconvenient for this <laughs> right now. But it's sort of the most like incidental issue, I think, like where we meet the collector guy who I think we meet again later. But um, and these 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 two, uh, I think the one guy, the one hairdresser guy we'll see again. So yeah. we see, see some sort of like, you know, C, C characters or whatever, like tertiary characters. Minor, but, yeah, yeah. But um, other than that, it's just sort of further further examining the character of Buddy Bradley. Yeah. But, but I yeah. think usually in an issue of hate, there's some sort of uh, progression to the na- overall narrative, like that the character's age. That was another thing that really struck me about the series overall as I was reading it. It's the character's age and change over time and that there's yeah. something compelling about that. I mean, again, like as it's drawn from his life experiences, um and they're actually like fully realized characters i think that that's important to the storytelling to age characters um which not not everyone does even you know serialized uh i think it's pretty uncommon really yeah it it is uncommon i think tv does it because they have to like if they could keep they could find a hormone that would prevent children from aging and put them on tv i think that would happen but (laughs) kids kind of age automatically so you have to adapt to it but in comics like you know like a lot of comics characters if they age at all they age like a year every five or ten years like it's yeah it's unusual for characters to um really age and change throughout the run so that's one of the things i really love about hate is it's 30 issues and it's about you know 10 years in this character's life and you really see these different Mm -hmm. phases of life and figuring things out and it's kind of about your early 20s and then your late 20s and your early 30s and that stuff's really interesting to me i feel like it's such a i mean when you look at like the type of comics that are being made today especially like indie comics uh alternative comics if we still call them that um (laughs) it's so fundamental uh to the development of the slice of life genre um and i think especially to younger cartoonists getting in and writing about their lives i know it was for me um it's like i don't know um i don't know where i'm going with this but yeah I, i just think it was incredibly influential and it continues to be even if some artists are not even aware of where some of their stylistic uh and story writing choices are coming from uh stories like hate i think definitely have an influence that that carry you know carries on yeah i think too in turn i've always really liked slice of life comics but i think peter bag feels more to me like someone who's actually like lived a life like right so right. many autobio comics are sort of like you know, here's a 500 page book about like the first time I felt a tit, you know, and you're like, has anything ever happened to you in your life that you're so you're 15 years later, you're making this like took you years to make this book, you know, like, yeah, it it goes it goes to some uncomfortable, uh, ugly, real raw places uh, that clearly come from lived experience, um, both of himself and other people in his life. 
Um, I and- think it's that too, that it, it gets outside the cell. It's, it does a better job of being like, what does this mean to someone else? Or what would make this interesting to someone else? Like, I think my number one exactly. gripe with slice of life comics is like, this person has all they're doing, they're obsessed with themselves and they're examining themselves in a very internalized way. They're not really considering right. the audience at all. Well, yeah. So I think, and I think that's the hallmark of what can be good um, slice of life or autobio storytelling is taking personal elements, but, and I understand like, you know, there is a, there can be a therapeutic component to doing slice of life or autobio, but you're still storytelling. You're still making a story for someone else to consume. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this is like the type of thing where it's like, you know, everyday life stuff, but it's like compelling in every issue. You're like, what's going to happen next. And mm-hmm. it's like really takes time to develop these characters who are like really interesting and, and quirky and kind of contradictory and all of that. It's not afraid to like get ugly, you know? And there's a focus on other people. Like the other characters aren't just there to kind of further emphasize the protagonist. Right. They all kind of have their own things happening and there's thought put into like who they are beyond their relationship with the protagonist, which I think adds a lot. Yeah, exactly. And also just this time and place. Like it's very much about Seattle at this time Mm -hmm. and the scene and the parties really feel like these parties and um, yeah, there's just a lot. It's it's very well crafted, like in multiple ways. Yeah, and definitely that. Yeah, the Gen X, uh, you know, twenty something. Where where's what am I doing with my life? Sort of thing. It also like makes me nostalgic for something that I didn't fully experience. You know, especially and even people who are younger, where it's like not as easy to kind of be like a slacker and move to a, a, a city, a big city these days and just kind of figure out your life without this pressure uh, to, you know, make it so you can actually afford to live there. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's something that I think has gone Like I've lived in Portland a long time. You know, there was a really bad show uh, came out about how you could just live in Portland and screw around. And, and uh, because of that show, everyone moved to Portland and made it no longer true. But uh, uh, (laughs) I can't imagine being 22 now and having being like $200,000 in debt. Like, I don't know what these kids do. I have no idea. No, I mean, I I think if you look back to a lot of media from that era, there's a lot of a lot of these similar tropes about people in this age range, like moving somewhere and and figuring it out. Um, And I don't know. It's fun. I definitely after college, like I, you know, had a bunch of like I spend $400 a month to live in a room in a big house with a bunch of guys and just kind of like had a crappy part-time job and was making comics and like right but yeah I think that's over I don't know I think it's I think it's over I feel like we were kind of on the cusp um like I I I know if what was it like it two years out of graduating that's when like the 2008 financial crisis happened yep. Yep. and everything felt like there's such a shift after that in terms of like what's possible as a young adult you know Totally. Uh, it's different, different era. I feel like, especially for us, um, we were almost in our childhood raised for an era that, that turned out to be quite different. So, yeah. you know, um, totally. so it's, it's kind of fun to look back at stuff like this too. Cause there's like some sort of fantasy level to it that I, I enjoy. Um, yeah. 
you could kind of take your time and figure it out and the stakes were lower right. and yeah, no, I know things were better back then. Let me tell you the good old days. Yeah. Kids no, these days, I mean, they don't know nothing. They're just on the social media. Who knows what they're doing? What are they? They're crazy. Oh man, I, I never want to sound like that where I'm like disparaging the younger generations because <laughs> every generation has something, right? It's true. I mean, I do think the thing though, of like um, engaging with objectionable characters with the record i mean if if the comic was like the author pointing out their actual point of view that you should be racist or nationalistic yeah. then i go okay yeah that's bad but having right. a character like that within the narrative um to sort of examine that viewpoint i think is really valuable and i do think that's something that we don't get to see enough of anymore right i i still feel like this comic um yeah, the characters might have those beliefs, but it also addresses um, a lot of those beliefs through the story. So um, I think there's value in that. There's also like this format doesn't even exist anymore. I don't think you no. can have a serialized indie comic that, because this guy, this is his job. He did like three or four issues of hate every year and they probably sold like 30,000 copies or something. Yeah, it I was think sustainable. It was one of the more successful ones at the time. Um, it totally was but even i don't think there's a thing like that anymore i don't think there's a successful serialized in this would have to be a book you know no and to, more likely a web comic rather than hmm. like a, a print comic so totally yeah so i don't know i mean and if there are web comics like this i just don't know about them because i'm too old and tired also the comics industry now is a little bit different it's a lot larger it's a lot there's so many different directions you can go in comics right now so it, do, it doesn't always feel uh I, I'm, I'm sure it likely felt very different back then so yeah but like i bought the new issue of crickets right that's sammy harkham's thing yeah and then but i feel like there, recently i bought that but i feel like there's so few things like that there's so few like single issue and if there are, you know, I think that was the first new issue in three or four years or something like uh there's nothing like this anymore i don't think yeah, I, I still like, I mean, I still think there's a lot of value in serializing uh, comics. I, I still do it, you know, like even mm -hmm. like Fizzle and stuff like mm -hmm. that. I think especially as um, being a younger creator, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a younger creator now, but I'm somewhere in the middle. But like, um, I think there's a value in taking your time and developing a story and not necessarily feeling like you need to put everything into a graphic novel, you know, immediately or at all. Mm -hmm. um and building that relationship with readers so i know a lot of people do that now through things like patreon um and other ways they have subscription services and whatnot so um it's definitely different than it was then but i, I still think people are, are doing it i just not maybe with a thirty thousand uh <laughs> print run right yeah with the uh, yeah i just miss going like getting the new issue of blah blah you know I, I mean there's some of it but anyway i'm just being nostalgic for a bygone era now but that's part of what reading hate comics does for us old timer i can hear your kid in the background yeah right i think it's, it's time for a nap but uh we are. But so, what i was saying is like yeah. i i appreciate you i i'm glad that i got to reread these it was uh it was just fun you know cool well i would really like to i i think this podcast will go on and i like the idea of inviting people back hate is 30 issues and it really breaks up pretty neatly into five issue chunks so you're definitely invited to come if we could do the whole thing in six episodes over the next couple of years, I think that'd be awesome. I'm down. Cool. We'll so uh, just a couple quick questions and we both got to go. But um, do you have like a dream run if you could write and or draw or maybe even edit like 
uh, most people, it's like a Marvel or DC Comics thing. Like, oh, I think I know what yours is actually. But if you could work on an existing thing with total creative control, no intervention, do like a long run. Oh man, I I can't answer that right now, right? <laughs> but wait, can I? Because I've talked to you about this before. Sure, when sure. Do you write Archie comics. Oh, Archie. Oh yeah, of course. In a heartbeat, that would be a dream come true. Okay. So hopefully, maybe I can manifest that one day. We'll see. <laughs> we should get a petition going. Yeah, I think yeah. that's. Uh, and then, what are you working on, and what do you want to promote, and all that? Right. So, um, you should <laughs> check out my Instagram. It's just Whit L Taylor. Sometimes I post comics when the mood strikes me. I'm currently working on a public health history graphic novel. Um, for them, what we're talking about. Um, trying to get started drawing Fizzle Four. Yeah. Um, and then just doing some smaller projects. So, trying to keep busy. Right on, and where? So, do you, should we follow you on Twitter or anything like follow that? Follow me on Twitter. My website, wittaylorcomics.com. I'm also uh, on Twitter, but I mostly talk about public health stuff. But uh, with Taylor good. Comics, so yeah, you can just Google me. I'll, I'm floating around doing stuff. So right on. I know your public health takes always make me more more worried. I always <laughs> you're the you're on the, the more the more cautious end of the spectrum, but it's good to good to keep it in mind yes. um well cool thanks very much for doing the show yeah um, thanks for having me ryan it was a real pleasure thanks so much always lovely to talk to you and with that we'll bring this episode of the runs to a close thank you for listening if you'd like to learn more about me and my work my website is oh yes very nice.com that's o-h-y-e-s-v-e-r-y-n-i-c-e.com Also, I'm working on a comics biography of Muhammad Ali. You can learn more about this project at patreon.com slash ohyesverynice, where you can subscribe to both digital and print editions. I can also be contacted at ohyesverynice at gmail.com. You can send me episode suggestions for the runs. And if you send me an email saying you heard about it on this podcast, I will send you a free digital copy of one of the chapters of the Ali comic. Home base for this podcast is theruns.blogspot.com, but it can also be downloaded or streamed on all platforms where podcasts are available. All the best ones. Please rate and review the show and share this podcast on social media and, more importantly, in person. Thanks so much, and see you next time on The Runs.